0: Dear God, our hearts are broken for this world. The hatred is palpable, the division undeniable, and the pain runs deep. We desperately need more of you. We ask for your truth to be louder than the noise which surrounds us, for your mercy to be stronger than the voices of oppression For your strength to overpower those who seek to do harm where there is division bring unity where there is anger bring peace where there is evil bring victory empower us to fulfill your mission to answer your calling to be the light you've created us to be may your love your grace and your mercy flood this world. We love you. We seek you. We place our hope in the mighty name of Jesus. This we pray. Amen.
1: Good morning. Good morning. We got one other announcement that I wanted to make sure that Janice had the opportunity to make. So we're going to call her forward. Yeah, Janice.
2: <laughs> it isn't my birthday that I want to announce. But <laughs> anyways, um, I just wanted to let you know we have something coming to the Remnant Church, a women's Bible study uh, that I'm organizing. And uh, some of the ladies in here have been to some of my prior Bible studies. And this uh, fall, it'll begin September 5th. That's uh, Tuesday, 930 to 11-ish in the morning, uh, we'll be meeting for like 11 weeks and we'll be doing a study by Jen Wilkin on Sermon on the Mount. If you've never done any of Jen's studies, you're in for a real treat. She's a great Bible teacher. She does verse by verse and you'll learn a lot. The workbook is $16 and we'll have more information and signups that'll be coming in the next few weeks. So um, ladies, if your calendar is clear, on Tuesday mornings, please come and join us because you'll be blessed, and you'll learn a lot.
1: Amen. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, and also be praying that um, we have some men step up and lead some studies, right? We Anything that we can do to continue our growth in the Lord. Right? That's so exciting to hear. It's so exciting to see. And so add that to your prayer list as... Uh, Got a whole list of things in the bulletin. You can tack that on there for you. Today is our sixth and final message in our basic training message series. If you've made it this far in our spiritual boot camp, I want to say congratulations. If you have missed one or more of the messages in this series, there's still time for you to catch up. There's still time that you can listen online. And I want to encourage you to do that because this whole series is all about equipping us and preparing us for what's to come. And as I said in week one of this series, there is an invisible war going on all around us. It's going on all around us, and yet there are unfortunately many who live their lives without really even giving that a whole lot of thought. The evil in this world continues to pervade into every area of our culture because there is no fear of the Lord. That's the reason. There's no fear of the Lord. And the real battle isn't physical, it's spiritual. And what's at stake are our very souls. That's what's at stake. That's how serious this is. And what concerns me greatly is that persecution is coming to the American church, and many of us are unprepared for it because we're waiting for an escape instead of preparing for endurance. Right. And if we study Jesus' warnings concerning the generation that would live through what the, the Lord's, or what leads to the Lord's second coming, you'll find that his emphasis was on preparing for engagement and endurance. It was not on waiting for exemption and escape. Preparation is absolutely essential. And that's been the whole point of this series, to simply better prepare us to how to live in victory, even when things look like defeat. But we have an enemy who wants us unprepared, and he'll do anything he possibly can to ensure that happens. Paul tells us exactly who this enemy is in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. It's the devil. He is our chief enemy. He has many names in the Bible. Satan, Lucifer, the devil, the tempter, all kinds of names, the evil one. But whatever his name, he is our chief enemy. And according to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he has many allies. He has all kinds of allies. He is not alone. He has an entire army of foot soldiers. And to defeat him, we need to know him, and we need to know his tactics. That was what week two was all about. Week two is about know your enemy. He was originally created as the most beautiful angel in all of heaven. He was the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, full of beauty. The Bible says he was the anointed cherub, who was in a special position unlike anything else in heaven. But eventually he grew tired of being number two in heaven and his pride led to his downfall, downfall because he wanted to be number one. He and the angels who were loyal to him were all thrown down to earth, out of heaven. And he is full of anger. He's full of anger because he knows his time is short. So he is now in an all-out war with the people of God. And while he is now God's enemy, he is not God's equal. He is a created being, therefore he has limitations. Satan has no power over you except for what you allow him to have because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Also, in week two of this series, we covered what I believe are six of the devil's favorite tactics to use against us. Deception, distraction, discouragement, discontentment, division, and even defection. Knowing these tactics will help us be better prepared for how to defeat them because his overall mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he'll use whatever means necessary to ensure that happens. And while Jesus disarmed him at the cross and ensured our ultimate victory, the devil continues to use these tactics to wreak as much havoc in our lives as possible until Jesus comes back again. So how do we battle against the devil and all of his minions until Jesus returns? We armor up. We armor up. Now, it's tempting when you see an image like this to think, yeah, I'm going to grab my armor, I'm going to grab my sword, I'm going to run into battle, and I'm going to start swinging, and heads are going to roll. But that is not what the Bible teaches because we don't do it in our strength. We do it in the Lord's strength and in the power of his might. We spent three weeks together unpacking the armor of God. And each individual piece that God gives us to wage war in his name. The first piece of armor, it's called the belt of truth. This is what supports and holds everything together. It's what holds our true identity in Christ. So when the enemy attacks, we can stand strong in the truth. And Jesus is that truth. Jesus is also the breastplate of righteousness. It's his righteousness we receive by faith. We don't become righteous because we work for it or because we earn it. We are righteous because we believe by faith that Jesus was our substitute at the cross when he died in our place for our sins. It was the great exchange, our sins for his perfect righteousness. The third piece of armor is the shoes of preparation of the gospel of peace. Jesus brought us the gospel of peace because he is the gospel of peace his death burial and resurrection is the gospel and it's this good news that brings peace peace with god because it was jesus who reconciled us to god through his very own blood otherwise we would be subject to god's wrath and spend eternity in hell now the next piece of armor that we need to take up is the shield of faith and jesus is the shield of faith In order for him to be the shield of faith for you, there must be trust in him from you. The only way for us to effectively hold up that shield of faith is by placing our complete trust in Jesus. Trust is what activates the shield so that we can have the power and the protection to withstand anything the enemy throws at us. Now, the helmet of salvation, that is what protects our mind. That's what gives us hope. But in order for this helmet to be truly effective, we've got to treasure what it represents. It represents Jesus because he is our salvation. And the last piece of armor we need to take up is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's what we talked about last week. To have a double-handed grip on that sword of the spirit where we have all 10 of our fingers engaged to do battle is to practice all 10 of these spiritual disciplines right here. We must read the word. We've got to hear the word, believe the word, memorize the word, meditate on the word, study the word, pray the word, worship according to the word, apply the word, and share the word. And when we do all these things, we can wield the sword of the spirit offensively and defensively and effectively and decisively. Now, here's what every piece of God's armor has in common. Here's what they have in common. They all Are a representation of Jesus. To put on the armor of God is to simply put on Jesus, because putting on Christ, abiding in Christ, the armor of light and the armor of God are all one in the same thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us every weapon we need to do battle in your name. I pray today, Jesus, that you would enlighten our minds and our hearts in a way like we've never heard or seen before, And so that we can walk in victory because of what you have done. Jesus, you are our armor. Help us to put it on and to always have it on. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. Now, there is one secret weapon we have not talked about that brings all of the pieces of God's armor together. It's what mobilizes and it's what energizes the full armor of God. And it's our focus for today. Our secret weapon is prayer. It's prayer. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. You don't have a Bible. We've got Bibles here on the bookshelf to my right, your left. You can follow along on the screen on your mobile device, but I want to encourage you to look at this. This is the text that we've been unpacking together for the last six weeks. So let's review. Paul says here in verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So there it is. There's where our power comes from. There's where our strength needs to be. It's in the Lord. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to do what? To stand against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles we've talked about, that is schemes, those are strategies, that's trickery, that's all the things that the devil does. Who's our enemy? It's the devil, Satan, right? He's our chief enemy, we talked about that. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That entire verse just means that there is an entire army of evil that report to Satan, and that's his foot soldiers. That's all that's talking about. Now, they may have different levels of, of rank, they may have different power, but all we need to know is there's an entire army that Satan uses to wage his war verse 13 what do we do about it therefore take up the whole armor of god that means all six pieces of armor we don't run into battle with just what we think's our favorite or we just take our sword and start swinging we need all the pieces of armor together so that we may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand stand therefore Now we're getting ready to see the full armor of God in rapid succession. Here it is. Having girded your waist with truth, there's the belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now I want you to notice here that Paul doesn't stop and then start a whole new thought. He continues right after the armor of God, right into the very next thing, which is praying. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplications for all the saints. Prayer is what mobilizes and it's what energizes the full armor, armor of God. Prayer is not in addition to the armor of God. It's not something we add to the other six pieces of armor that God has given us. Prayer is an absolutely essential ingredient for us to put on each piece of God's armor and to keep it on. It's what prepares us. It's what sustains us. It's what encourages us. It sharpens us and it equips us. Prayer is the secret weapon that can knock down every stronghold of the enemy. And there is no defense for it aren't you glad there is no defense for it it's our secret weapon i could think of it like an atomic bomb or a nuclear bomb the enemy has no defense for it you hear me child of god there is no defense for it so we cannot think that we can go into battle and just swing our sword and expect this to be the only means by which we can fight Prayer ties all the way back to verse 10 of our text that says we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's how we're to be strong. It's through prayer. And then prayer is the common thread all the way through our text. It's what enables us to put on the armor of God. It's what gives us the ability to stand against the enemy. It's what gives us the ability to withstand in the evil day. And it's what gives us the ability to keep on standing no matter how fierce the battle gets. Prayer is our lifeline to the Lord of heaven's armies. As children of God, we have the ability to call on the Lord God Almighty himself. And when we do that, it's like calling in air support to rain down firepower that cannot be repelled. So for us to be strong and for us to stand against the enemy and all of his army, we must pray. We must pray. So let's jump into what does Paul say about prayer so that we can better understand how to pray. It's one thing to know that we're to do it, but how are we to do it? The first thing to notice here in our text is that Paul says we are to be praying always. First thing he says, praying always. This has to do with the frequency of our prayers. Does this mean that we literally are to be praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week? No, of course not. Paul means here that our entire life should be focused on having an attitude of prayer where where we long to communicate with our Father in heaven so we stay in constant communication with him. Just like you do in any intimate relationship, you communicate with the one you love. You spend time with them, listening to them, talking to them because you are in love with them. That is what prayer is with the Lord. Praying always means we express our dependence on God. We express our dependence on him. We express how much we need him, and we express how much we love him. If we're praying always, then it becomes our natural, habitual response to no matter what is going on. If things are going well, we can express our thanks to God. If things aren't going well, we can ask for help and strength from God. Whatever's going on, good or bad, we stay in constant communication with the Lord. This is praying always. Prayer should always be our first response to everything. Because if we don't make it our first response, we will more often than not just end up depending upon ourselves instead of God. It definitely should never be a last resort. I don't know how many have heard this. Well, we've done all we can do. Now all we can do is pray how many of you heard that I've been one I've said that I have said that now that that might come from good intentions but it's nowhere near how we should live because it's entirely backwards no we pray first and then we stand then we keep on praying and then we keep on standing John Bunyan who is probably best known for authoring the pilgrim's progress here's what he said quote You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Isn't that good? You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. That is good. Prayer should always be our first response, and it should also be our continued response. We must keep the line of communication with God open by praying always. Now, Satan loves to disrupt this line of communication because he knows on our own we are weak. Our flesh is weak. When we make the conscious effort to pray, we are reminding ourselves that we are in the presence of the holy, just, and almighty God. And if we consciously and constantly make this effort to pray, we are putting God front and center in our lives, in our minds and in our hearts, which is right where he belongs. For a child of God, praying should be like breathing. Praying should be like breathing. It just happens naturally. If we don't breathe physically, what happens? We die. And it's the same thing spiritually. Too many people who profess their love for the Lord with their lips hold their spiritual breath for long periods of time thinking that the short and infrequent times of prayer with God are sufficient to allow them to survive. But we can't survive or even thrive without praying always Jesus modeled praying always he spent a great deal of time on this earth in prayer with his father in heaven one example of this comes from Mark chapter 1 verse 35 which says now in the morning having risen a long while before daylight he went out and departed to a solitary place place, and there he prayed another example is when Jesus prayed an entire night all the way through in luke chapter 6 verse 12 which says this now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to god jesus was in constant communication with god because he prayed always and if jesus who is the son of god prayed always shouldn't we be doing the same Next, Paul says in our text, with all prayer and supplication. He first deals with the frequency of our prayers by saying, praying always. Now, when he says, pray with all prayer and supplication, he's now talking about the variety of our prayers. That word supplication, it simply means that we're humbly asking God for something. That's what it means. It's our requests, it's our wants, it's our needs. There are all kinds of prayers we can make to God. There are prayers of praise, there are prayers of thanks. There's prayers for other people. There's prayer for our needs. There's prayers for protection. There's prayers for healing. There's prayers for forgiveness. There's all kinds of prayers, and that is what Paul is driving at here. We take everything to the Lord with all prayer and supplication. 1 Peter 5, verse 7 reminds us that we are to cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. That word all is incredibly important. There is nothing too big for God and there's nothing too insignificant for him either he loves us and he desires for us to be close to him now let me stop for a minute and let's talk about what prayer is not just for a minute let's talk about what prayer is not prayer is not us reciting something that we've heard or memorized over and over again it's not about that at all there is no power in us reciting a dead prayer from rote memory over and over again. Actually, the Bible warns us not to do this. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus says this, When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. In the New King James, the text uses the phrase, don't use vain repetitions. We don't need to recite the same thing over and over again there are sadly some religions and denominations that actually teach the exact opposite here vain repetitions have no life in them whatsoever they are dead and have no value i remember growing up reciting all kinds of prayers especially before a meal you ever heard this one god is good god is great let us thank us for this meal amen dig in remember that one How about this one before you go to sleep? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. You see, when these things are spouted off from rote memory with no heart behind them, they mean absolutely nothing. There are many denominations that actually recite the Lord's Prayer as a prayer to God. But God never intended for us to do that. He didn't say in His Word what to pray, He said how to pray. In other words, What we call the Lord's Prayer is meant for us as a model for how to pray, not specifically what to pray. So when we recite it over and over again, it can be another vain repetition and have no value. So let's look at what Jesus said about prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Now I'm going to give you some context before I get to the Lord's Prayer. First, Jesus teaches that we're not to be like the hypocrites because they want to be seen by people. So don't make it a show, is what Jesus is saying. In other words, prayer is never a performance. Prayer is never a performance. Then he says, pray to your Father, meaning he is the only one we should direct our prayers to. It's not the Mother Mary. It's not your dead loved ones. We pray only to our God the Father in heaven. And then Jesus says, don't babble on and on with many words, which is the text that we just covered that's up here on the screen. And then right after the what not to do, Jesus says, you should pray like this. And what follows is what we call the Lord's Prayer. It comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Jesus says, therefore, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Notice what Jesus says first. He says you should pray like this. He's not saying you should pray this specific prayer. He's teaching us how to pray, not what to pray. It's a model example or a general guideline for us on how we should pray. Jesus simply gives us an outline of different kinds of prayer. Paul said in our text from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, that we are to be praying always with all prayer and supplication. With all prayer and supplication is simply a reference to the variety of types of prayers that we can pray. And Jesus here gives us several different kinds right here in Matthew chapter 6, which we call the Lord's Prayer. So let's break down this model prayer together. There are six key elements. The first three of these elements relate to God. The, first, the next three relate to us. Let's see this. The first one here. We give God praise by honoring his name. This is adoration. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored and holy. The second thing is we pray that his kingdom come. Right? His kingdom comes. We want to pray that. We should be really excited about his return to this earth and the new kingdom that he's going to set up when he comes back again. The third thing is we pray for his will to be done, not our will, but his will be done. This is one we might struggle with, right? Because we want our way when it should be his way. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These first three are his. It all pertains to him. The next three are us. Number four, we pray that our daily needs are to be met. Give us today our daily bread. This is important. Give us today our daily bread. He didn't say give us today our lifetime bread. He said our daily bread. So in other words, we don't need to necessarily dump out everything that's on our mind for all eternity, from now until when we die, all this stuff we ask in God. Because why? Jesus wants us to depend on him daily. Go back to the Old Testament. Think about all the manna that was raining down. How much manna were they allowed to collect? Just enough for one day. Why? God's teaching them to depend on him daily. It's the same thing with our prayers. Number five, we pray for our forgiveness and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And the sixth one here, we pray for our deliverance or protection from the evil one, meaning Satan, who's our enemy. This is a prayer for holiness. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus gave his disciples a pattern for how to pray, and he started this prayer with adoration, and then he ends it with supplication. Adoration is praising God for who he is. Supplication, as we said, is just a word that means humbly making our requests to God in prayer. Notice that Jesus' pattern for prayer begins with adoration, praising God for who he is before making our requests in supplication. I don't know about you, but I have found myself more times than I care to admit running to God in prayer and just word-vomiting everything out there about what I need (laughs) instead of praising him first. We need to praise him first. That's why it begins with adoration, praising God. Now, one element that was not called out specifically in Jesus' pattern for prayer was us giving thanks. It's not in there. But as a Christian, that should just be built into our spiritual DNA all the time. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says that we are to give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for us. In other words, thankfulness in everything is a way of life for a Christ follower. It should just happen naturally, because that's just part of following Jesus, being thankful now there are all kinds of prayers you can read psalms and many other types of scriptures to see the varying types of prayer when paul says in our text with all prayer and supplication he is making the point that we fight against the enemy using all types of prayer and next paul says in the spirit in the spirit first he says praying always which deals with the frequency of our prayers Then, he says, with all prayer and supplications, which deals with the variety and types of prayers. Now, he says, in the Spirit, which deals with our submission to God in prayer. Now, before I jump into what does it mean to pray in the Spirit, let me first say what it is not. It is not praying in tongues. Praying in the Spirit is not praying in tongues speaking in tongues is a legitimate gift given by the holy spirit and you can read all about it in 1 corinthians chapter 14 but sadly much of what we see today with speaking in tongues is abused and sensationalized like many things in the church unfortunately we must always test what we see and what we hear by comparing it to god's word right we got to compare it to what god's word actually says Speaking in tongues is not Paul's focus here in this text about praying in the Spirit. Speaking in tongues is something that you can read about in that 1 Corinthians chapter 14, but it tells us in verse 14 of that chapter that when someone prays in tongues, he does not know what he's saying because it's in an unknown language that he does not understand. In fact, no one can understand what is being said unless there's someone who has the gift to interpret what is being said. So how in the world... How in the world can we do what Paul is telling us to do in our text for today by praying always in all prayer and supplication in the Spirit if no one, including the one praying, cannot even understand it? We can't, and that's the point that I'm making. Praying in the Spirit is not praying in tongues. Praying in the Spirit is also not us praying emotionally in the flesh where we get all worked up for reasons that may not even involve the Holy Spirit at all. So what is praying in the spirit? Praying in the spirit is simply us praying in complete dependence upon God according to God's word. That's what it is. And if you know if you know his word, then you will know his will. And therefore, you will know what you can ask for. James chapter 4 verses 2 through 3 is a great reminder of why we may not receive what we want. James says here, beginning in verse two, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So our motive for asking has to be right if we expect to receive what we're asking for. So knowing God's will is the key to us receiving what we ask for. And as I've already said, to know his will, you have to know his word. Now, one very important thing about praying in the Spirit is that we cannot do this if we have any unconfessed sin in our lives. Psalm 66, verse 18 says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If we think that we can come into God's holy presence, in the power of the Holy Spirit, while at the same time still holding on to sin in our lives, we are greatly deceived. This is another reason why Peter tells us husbands in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, that we are to treat our wives as we should so our prayers will not be hindered. God knows our hearts. We can never fool him into thinking we can disobey him and then turn around and come into his presence and try to sweet-talk him into giving us whatever we want. Not going to happen. Lord, I need you to bless my job while you're being dishonest. Lord, please bless my family. While you're deceived by pornography, Lord, help so and so see that they are wrong while you're holding on to unforgiveness in your heart. Lord, bless my health while you're enslaved to alcohol or drugs. Lord, bless my relationship while you're fornicating before the Lord. We have to repent of all of our sins before we can pray in the Spirit. The Spirit of God will never, ever lead us to pray anything that is against His will as revealed in His Word. For example, you cannot pray in the Spirit, Lord, bless my marriage that I'm about to enter into as I yoke myself together with an unbeliever. can't happen. Praying in the Spirit is praying in complete dependence upon the Holy Spirit while under His direction and under His power. So we need to submit ourselves to him and seek his direction and his power as we pray. That is praying in the spirit. And one of the ways that we can practically walk this out is what I said last week. Pray the word of God back to God. Because when we pray the word of God, we are praying the will of God. And when we are praying the will of God, we can know we will receive what we ask for. So we are to be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. The next thing we see in our text about prayer is that we need to be watchful. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end. This means we are to be alert. We are to be awake spiritually. Unfortunately, there's so many in the church today that are asleep spiritually. Spiritually. We need to be awake. Think of it like you are a soldier on duty and you're watching for signs of the enemy coming into your territory or that of others around you. If you see someone suffering, you pray to the Lord that they keep their eyes fixed on the Lord and not allow them to be devoured by the enemy. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. So we need to be watchful by being alert, having spiritual awareness of the enemy and all of his tactics. If we see someone discouraged or depressed, we should pray that they put their complete trust in the Lord and in his salvation. If we see a husband and wife who are struggling with their marriage, we should pray for them. If we see the enemy try to infiltrate our thoughts or target our family, we pray. We are never to give him a foothold, not even an inch. We must be alert and we must pray. So we are to be watchful. Now the next thing that Paul says is we are to be watchful with all perseverance. We are to be watchful with all perseverance. This just means we never give up. We never give up. We keep on praying right through whatever trial we're enduring or whatever trial we see someone we love going through so we keep on praying even when it seems like nothing is changing we continue to pray anyway and the enemy right the enemy is so good at speaking lies to us planting seeds of doubt on why god has not answered our prayers but we keep on praying we continue with all perseverance many of us don't even realize what's going on in the spiritual realm we have no idea And as I've been saying all throughout this series, there is a war going on for our very souls. It is an invisible war. It's a spiritual war. If it seems like God is not listening to you or you've been waiting for a long time for an answer to your prayer, I want to encourage you to keep fighting in prayer. Keep pouring your heart out out to the Lord. No matter how desperate things may seem, no matter how discouraged you may be, I want to encourage you to keep fighting in prayer with all perseverance. Psalm 27 verse 14 reminds us that we are to wait on the Lord. We are to wait on the Lord. And let me tell you, the wait is worth it. Someday I'm going to teach a message on that. I'm going to teach a message on it's worth the wait. I did one years ago. It was called Embrace the Wait. Some of you might remember from the other church across town. It was called Embrace the Wait. It was about a little girl that we had planned to adopt about seven years ago. I want to do a sequel to that called the wait is worth it because it is it is more than worth it so we wait on the lord in daniel chapter 10 we read that daniel waited for 21 days for an answer to his prayer an angel came to daniel and he explained to him what was going on in the spiritual realm that from the first day that daniel made his prayer it was heard god heard that prayer on the first day and he dispatched an angel to go answer it But the enemy kept that angel from delivering the answer to that prayer for 21 days. Matter of fact, they had to bring Archangel Michael into the equation to help fight and combat the enemy, to overpower him, so that that angel could deliver the message to Daniel. See, we have no idea what is going on in the spiritual realm. This spiritual war is real, and it is raging right now. We know the ultimate outcome and the victory that Jesus has guaranteed us in his word, but the battles between now and then will be and could be incredibly intense. And we need to be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And that's the next thing we're talking about, supplication for all the saints. We must be praying for each other the battlefield is everywhere and those who are aligned with the Lord are our fellow soldiers as Christ followers we do not live this life in isolation the church is supposed to be one body in Christ and if one member of the church is hurting the whole body is hurting there should be no division that's what the enemy wants he loves to create division how many of you seen division in the church? I almost ought to see every hand up. If you've been in church for any period of time, it's, that's what the enemy does. He tries to create division. So we should be all praying for the body of Christ. We should be praying with all supplication for each other. Now listen, it's okay to be praying for yourself, but Paul's focus here in this text is praying for each other. And this is an incredible example for us. He was in a Roman prison when he wrote this. He could have asked for prayer for himself to get out of prison. He could have asked to end the suffering or whatever to make it easier on him. But no, his focus was always on furthering the kingdom of God. And that should be our focus too. Paul asked for prayer in the very next verse. And the prayer that he asked for, that I don't have time to expound on today, is that he would be able to proclaim the gospel boldly and not miss any opportunities to do so. That was Paul's prayer for himself. He just wanted to further the kingdom of God. We must remember that the Christian life is not about making ourselves happy and comfortable. It is a battle in the individual, invisible spiritual forces of wickedness. That's who we're battling against. And to fight this battle against evil, we must be soldiers who pray. We've got to be soldiers who pray. Now, there is so much more I would love to say about prayer today, but I am out of time. So let me wind this all down. But before I do, I want to share one more verse with you. It's in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It says this So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, and yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You and I can come boldly to the throne of grace and pray to our Father in heaven directly. You and I can do that. We don't have to go to anyone else to get to God. We can pray directly to Him ourselves. And that was made possible because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He paid the penalty that you and I could never ever pay ourselves. And then He rose again on the third day. And he's seated at the right hand of God the Father right now. You see, the veil in the temple was torn completely in two from top to bottom when Jesus died on the cross. And it was at that moment that direct access to God was made possible for us to come into God's holy presence and speak directly to him. We can now come boldly to him anytime, anywhere, and we will receive mercy and grace to help us when we need it most. Prayer is our secret weapon. It is our secret weapon. May we pray always with all kinds of prayers in complete submission to God, according to his word, ensuring we are always alert, never giving up while praying for each other in the body of Christ, which is the text that we just covered today. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Jesus, that we can come to you at any moment in our lives. There is nothing, there's no barrier between us anymore. You removed all of that by what you did on the cross. And we praise your holy name. Thank you that there is power in your name. Thank you that the word of God is truth. Father, you've given us every tool, every weapon we need to live victoriously in this life. And so I'm praying right now, Jesus, that you take us deeper in a more intimate relationship with you that you become front and center in all of our lives and all of the sin, all of the baggage that may be weighing us down, that we can leave it right at the cross because you paid for all of it for us by your very own blood. And so today, Lord, if there's someone here that's never made the decision to follow you, they may know about you, they may have heard things about you, but they've never committed to have a personal relationship with you, I pray today that you'd stir their heart, Lord, and that that decision would happen today and that they would say, no more. I'm not living for myself. I'm not living for any of these things. I am putting God first in my life. And if that's your prayer, praise the Lord. I pray, Jesus, move in their hearts, draw them to you, woo them to you by your Holy Spirit. Others today, Lord, who may be struggling with addictions of some kind or some stronghold in their life, we know there is power in prayer. And I pray, Jesus, that you'd break every stronghold today. This world desperately needs you. And I pray that we'd all have our eyes focused on furthering the kingdom of God. So many things that we get focused on that have no bearing, they're not important at all in the big scheme of things. May our eyes always be fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. If you're here today and you need prayer and you'd like someone to pray for you, I encourage you to come forward. If you're not sure of your salvation, that if you die tomorrow, of where you would end up, heaven or hell, come forward. I want to make that sure. For i want to help you so you can make that sure today. So God bless you. Thank you for coming. I, hey, listen, I want to tell you, I am really excited over the next four weeks of what we've got planned. And um, this next series that we're getting into, this mini-series mini that we're going to watch by video, so I can take a breather, is really, really good. Pastor Craig Rochelle is a phenomenal, gifted speaker. For you men that were part of the... Uh, The study that we did here about fighting, being men of God, fighting and stuff, it's the same speaker. And so I want to encourage you to come, to hear that, to listen. And we're going to talk about dangerous prayers, prayers that we can pray. And we're going to have to pray boldly to pray these kinds of prayers, and we're going to talk about that. And then in between those two, we've got a guest speaker. Brent's going to be coming to us from Revive Church, and I'm totally stoked about that. He's preaching from Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, which is a precursor right, for us going through the whole book of Mark starting the second week of September together. Just cool how God lines all that up. And then, of course, we've got September 3rd is our prayer and communion service where we are going to just be knocking on the gates of heaven to intercede on behalf of this world and behalf of this church body. And so I want to encourage you, buck up, because it's going to be a really good ride over the next four weeks. So thank you, guys. Bless you. Have a great week.